Appreciate you all. Hey, for the last couple weeks, we prayed for Bobby. So let's give Bobby a hand. He's here this morning. We're glad you're here today. And also, glad everyone else is here today. Not just glad Bobby's here, but uh, hey, this morning, we are going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is the chapter where Paul is correcting some things in the church that are happening that are not supposed to be happening. And so he's kind of laid a foundation for that in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, he's emphasizing love. And that's the amazing thing about spiritual gifts is that God gave them to make us more effective in loving and building each other up. And it's kind of crazy that for the Corinthian church, even though in chapter 1, Paul says they were lacking no spiritual gift. So they had all the, in a sense, the resources that they need but then they're fighting with each other. And he has to write all this stuff about quit tearing each other down, quit pushing yourself forward, and love each other. And uh, what's funny is that today, if you were to take 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, uh, on the topic of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you got a bunch of people everywhere in the church tearing each other down, being prideful toward one another, each judging the other, and uh, that is not the purpose of um, spiritual gifts. That is not what God intends in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, um, on the whole issue of tongues, uh, one of the things like we're going to spend at least this week and next week still talking about tongues. And uh, as we, as we kind of look at that and just the emphasize, emphasis in this, you know, I think it is important for us to read what the Bible says and to understand truth. You know, God didn't write everything in the Bible. He was very selective, and he wrote just a few things. And in my life, I've run across people who have said, oh, there's a lot of controversy about that topic. Let's just ignore that passage. It's not helpful or good for us. And what I want you to know is that there's actually nothing in the Bible that is not helpful or good for you. And uh, the truth is that actually everything that's in there, we need. But I will just say this too, that today might be intellectual. Somebody was saying to me, um, very informational last week. And I thought, well, good. I hope it was. Um, and and uh, they're just saying, is it going to be really informational this week too? And I say to that, maybe. Um, so, uh, but, you know, the thing about studying scripture is that our, our goal actually is not just to know things. We're not just trying to grow in what's in our mind. Our goal is to actually know and believe things that are true because what we believe actually comes out in how we live. It comes out in how we think about other people. It comes out in how we treat other people. And so all the things that God says are true. And uh, our title this morning is just the priority of building up. And that is one of the things that you see in this whole section is that God's purpose for us as believers is that we build each other up. And anytime we're focused on theology, anytime we're focused on a theological position, and then we start tearing each other down, or we feel divided or separated, or people that God intends for us to love, now we don't love each other anymore, that is a wrong expression of the things that we're learning. And uh, so we're going to kind of see some of that. But our priority is to build up. And uh, we want to make sure that we believe things. We don't want to believe things that aren't true, and we want to believe things that are true. And so the other reason that this is important for us to be reading and thinking about is, that, is for ourselves that we know what the truth is, but it's also so that we can interact and communicate 
and encourage and help our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's actually what God intends in the church, right? Um, a lot of us believe things that aren't true about a lot of things. And God puts us together as a church family and we study God's word. We don't follow people like that's what was happening in, in uh, Corinth, right? I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. And we can get people that are our favorite theologians and we can follow those people. Or there's also times that people think, oh, if the pastor says it, then it must be true. And uh, that is the goal, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Tom, for praying for me. It is not my goal to ever get, ever get up and say something that's not true. But at the same time, I am not the standard or measure of truth. The Bible is. And so we read that together, and then we just ask ourselves, is that what this is saying? And uh, so hopefully that is what happens this morning. And the, the big thing in all this is that we need to respond to each other with love and not with pride. And so uh, we're going to be jumping in here, and I just want you to know, like, when it comes to this area of theology, um, I have some family members that are definitely have a different opinion about the things in this passage than I have. And I have some very good friends who would definitely approach this passage differently than I would, would come to different conclusions. And um, for me, some of those people are the most encouraging and inspiring people in my life spiritually. They're people I love to be around. Every time I'm with them, I feel like, man, I, have, I just really benefit from being around you. And so, um, you know, we all want to believe and know the right thing, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're loving each other rightly, differences of opinion are actually things that God uses to help us grow. Um, they are things that we actually sharpen and we benefit and we encourage one another, and they're not things that tear down. And so, uh, anyway, a love is a priority in this. So having said all that, Hey, let's jump into some controversial stuff. So the first one is uh, just, I just want us to understand this, that God has blessed us with important spiritual gifts. And the, the thing that isn't critical for us to understand is that those are all for the purpose of building one another up. And when we do it rightly, we're going to end up like Jesus. Like that's what uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 just says, when we're building each other up in truth and love, we all end up being like Jesus. And that is our goal. And uh, so we're going to be jumping in here and considering this. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to go to chapter 14 is where we're going to be today, uh, verse 1 through 19, but we're just going to kind of read a few verses on our way there. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, and this is where Paul kind of sets a tone for where he's going, and he's going to remind them, actually, I'll just read it. Uh, verse 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. So we're supposed to know things. Um, uh, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Um, he is talking to people who just were moved emotionally and just led places that they should not have been led. And he's saying to them, that should not be true of you anymore. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul has to say to them these really basic things, and what he's telling them is as you're viewing your spiritual gifts, as you're looking at these things that you're doing, there's actually a satanic influence there. 
And sometimes for the Corinthians, they were using the right gifts in the wrong ways. And sometimes things that they thought were spiritual gifts were not spiritual gifts. And by the way, Satan's plan has never changed. And it's not just the Corinthians that were struggling with that. We can struggle with this too, with satanic influence in our life. And one of the things Satan uses is pride. And so when we're prideful toward each other, when we're unloving toward each other, we can just go, yeah, that's satanic. In fact, James chapter 3, verse 13 through, I think it's like 18 or 19, Paul actually, or I'm sorry, that's uh, James, actually uh, talks about the marks of demonic wisdom and the marks of true wisdom. And I would just say in this, on the cessationist side, people who say there's no tongues, <laughs> I see a lot of times the mark of demonic wisdom there. And in people who are using spiritual gifts, often I see, or who are, would believe that tongues are for today, I often see demonic wisdom being expressed there. And so we need to be looking at all the things that tell us when God is influencing us and when Satan is influ influencing us. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. So why does God give spiritual gifts? For the common good. And this is something you see throughout this passage. God doesn't give spiritual gifts for self-edification. And, and really controversial things, like when I was studying end times in seminary and various uh, types of things, um, as I'm trying to sort through very complicated things, sometimes what I'll do is say, okay, of the 10 things this group believes, and then there's 10 things that this group believes, can I study scripture and say for sure anything that is true? And here's what I would say when it comes to this issue. People who say that tongues are for self-edification, I just go, yeah, you're wrong. I know for sure that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for common good. And I see that, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But actually, you also see that all through 1 Corinthians 14, which we're going to start pointing that out. Um, shortly. Verse uh, 11, and these things are all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually just as he wills. So the second half of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is to say we all need each other, <laughs> right? And God puts gifts in the body to build each other up. So if you think you're not needed, that's true. You are needed. That's not true. You are needed. If you think other people, yeah, you guys are lame, you know, um, <laughs> If, you, if you're around people, and this is one of those terribly prideful things that I see, is often people in church will see somebody that disagrees with them or has a different view than they have, and they just think, man, we'd all be better off if they just left. Um, that is actually not God's intention. You need to know that you need people. And then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take a little de departure here and talk about marriage for a second. Um, did, did you know, and this is true in the body of Christ, but, but that your spouse is the perfect person that God gave for you. Like the day you got married, you know, this is who God, this is who I need. And that includes what they do well, that you don't do well. And it also includes everything they're doing wrong. And um, when your spouse is doing something wrong, there's all kinds of good things that God is doing in your life. And that is to help you love, to help you forgive, to help you have patience, to help you think about how do I in the right way help somebody. So when you have huge marriage problems um, in your life, that's because you need that. That's why God allows those things in your life. And so that is true for marriage and families 
and friendships and church relationships. So um, we all need each other. Verse uh, 24 of chapter 12, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor um, to the part that lacked it, and there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Like we're supposed to love each other, right? <laughs> um, we'll see that all through here. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, verse 31, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And we know that's love. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul talks about the priority of love, that if you don't have it, nothing you do matters. Um, then he describes what love is so we're not confused. And then he says, all these spiritual gifts, they're all going to at some point pass away or cease, but love is never going to go away. And um, the perfect we talked about, I believe, is heaven, where we fully know as we are fully known. And that's the reason that prophecy and knowledge and all those things are done away with because we know everything. We're in God's presence. I'm looking forward to that day where none of us will be wrong. Um, and then chapter 13, uh, verse 12, it says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right. And now that we've covered all that stuff, Let's jump into some controversial stuff, and uh, let's, let's read this. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 19, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to go through, and we're going to talk about it. But it starts again with this shocking statement. It says, pursue love. Nobody's surprised by that, right? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that you so that the church may be built up now brothers if i come to you with speaking in tongues how will i benefit you unless i bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp don't give distinct tones how will anyone know what is played if the bugle gives an indistinct sound who will get ready for battle so with yourselves if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of a language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, 
how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. Okay, so that's what we're going to jump on today. Now, if you go to um, and you look up the views of people who say, no, tongues is a private prayer language and tongues, the purpose of it is self-edification. This is actually the chapter that they go to to say this is where it says that. Now, as we read that, did anybody read anything or hear anything in there that you go, well, I could see how somebody could say that? I mean, there's some words in there, there's some phrases and sentences that you could say, oh, okay, I could see how somebody could get that. It's the same thing when we were going through the book of Acts and we're, every time people were filled with the Holy Spirit, like the, 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 when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, they spoke in tongues. When Peter goes to Cornelius, they speak in tongues. When they go find these disciples of John and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. So you can read the book of Acts and you can say, when people say tongues is a sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can see where that comes from. But you know that that is a wrong interpretation of that passage. If you think about the fact that the Bible says every Christian has the Holy Spirit, and it also says every spirit, every Christian does not have the gift of tongues. So when the Bible says those two things, you know that that is not the right interpretation of those passages. And when we look at all this, I'm just going to tell you, I know, and you can tell me at the end if you know, that the gift of tongues is a language. It is not just things that nobody understands. And the gift of tongues is not for self-edification. And so we'll, we're going to go through that. So um, just to start with, here, here's our first point in this passage, and we can't miss this. Um, our whole thing is that building each other up is our priority. And so Paul's going to identify two things that build people up. And the first one is love. <laughs> this is not confusing. Um, love is part of building one another up. And the second is prophecy. And I just want to summarize prophecy as truth. That's what prophecy is. It is bringing forth God's revelation or it is proclaiming revelation that's already been given. So love and truth are our priorities because love and truth build people up. And I'm going to tell you that tongues is an avenue of truth. And uh, I'll show you that in here, and you can see if you agree. But uh, this is what it says. It just says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's not bad to want gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So this is the thing that I want to just say here. Um, it says here that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. And what I'm going to tell you in this passage is that Paul is telling them to stop doing that. He is telling them, don't do this. He, he's not 
uh, laying that out as though that's a positive thing. As you read through this passage, Paul is saying, um, actually, even when it comes to the gift of tongues, it needs to be a channel of truth. So he's telling them, don't do this. And I just want you to know that spiritual gifts are not for God's edification. God doesn't think to himself, you know, I really need to be built up. I need help um, from people, and so I'm going to give them a spiritual gift so that they can bless me. Spiritual gifts are given not for God's benefit. They are given for our benefit, for us to build up others. And so, but this is one of those things that gets taken out of context. Um, uttering, uh, nobody understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, and then God emphasizes in this passage, prophecy. You know, when I think about um, how we can take things out of context, um, there's like in, uh, in 1 Timothy, um, Paul, 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily exercises of little value but godliness is profitable for all things both in this life and for the life to come so in that passage paul's saying hey exercise is good but for all you people that work out we got some people here that work out he's saying it's good working out's fine but realize your godliness is actually more important than your physical health and so some people as they read this passage they say, oh yeah, self-edification of tongues, that's a good thing, it's just edifying the church is better. And what I would say to you is that is not what is being said in this passage. In this passage, Paul is saying don't do these things. It's similar to 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, um, if you join yourself to a harlot, you are one body with her. And then he quotes a marriage passage. You know, the two will become one flesh. And then he says, flee sexual immorality. Can you, can you as a believer participate in sexual immorality? May it never be. Right. And so for a person to go, well, hey, look, uh, the best thing for us to do is to keep our sexual activity in marriage. But look, right here, it says that if you join yourself to a harlot, you're one body with her. And so we can have some unity that, that's outside of marriage too. It's just, it's not as good, but we can do that too. And I would just say that when you're looking at that, that's insane. Um, and it is a little bit more clear in 1 Corinthians. He says, may it never be and flee sexual immorality. And in this passage, I understand why people are confused, but if you read the whole of chapter 14, he's saying don't do that. And so that's what's happening here. And so we need to realize that we need to pursue love and truth. And um, this is just a, a, something about truth in this area. Um, you know, truth impacts how we think, how we feel, and how we live. And uh, Paul just says this in Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and of the apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. He just says, my purpose is that the people God has chosen, that they will know truth. And then he says this, which accords with godliness. And truth is according to godliness. Another way to translate that is that truth produces godliness. And so all the people who say, hey, there's five legitimate translations of this. Pick, pick your favorite. It's all okay to believe any of these five things. No, that is wrong. We need to believe the thing that God said because truth actually works its way out in our life and results in godliness. That's what um, Tom was talking about. We know truth 
We believe truth, but that's actually then supposed to be lived out. So when you believe things that are not true, it harms you. And you may not know exactly how it harms you, but it harms you. If you believe the wrong things, if you have unbiblical views about whether or not God chooses you or whether you choose God, if, 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 and we do both, by the way, God chooses us and we also choose, but when, when people land on one side of that in a really hard way, it damages evangelism. And we need to actually understand what the Bible says about both. And it's actually not okay to have unbiblical views about anything, and that includes this. And so truth produces godliness. And then this is something important for us too as we think about this. Um, Paul's talking about understanding truth as it relates to um, sacrifices. And this is what he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. So he's talking to the Corinthians, and by the way, this is a problem that is also being addressed in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And he just says that this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the Corinthians take what they think they know, and look at, look at verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. So you remember my illustration about John last week, how he yelled out that the teacher was wrong when she put uh, five minus, or seven minus two is five, and he knew all about addition, and he knew that, that seven, seven, and, or, or seven and two is nine because he was adding. And um, that is actually what Paul's telling them is you are so confident and you are so sure that you know things, but you don't know enough yet. And one of the things that should tell us we don't know enough yet is when what we know is damaging to people and damaging to relationships. Okay, we're missing something when that is happening. And um, so Paul in this passage is telling them what not to do, and we'll see that more as we continue on. Um, the second thing that we're going to see here is that building yourself up is a misuse of spiritual gifts. said that in 1 Corinthians 12, but let's look more. Verse, 14, uh, verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. One of the things I want to say about tongues is tongues is not something that is in and of itself. Tongues is intended to actually be a channel of truth. Like when you think about tongues, like what happened in Acts chapter 2? They spoke about the amazing things that God did, and everybody heard in their own language. Everybody wasn't sitting around going, oh, wow, what an emotional thing. What is that? That is crazy. People, when they experienced the, hit, the gift of tongues, were receiving truth in a way that they could understand it. It's like when I gave that illustration of us hanging out with Carlos's parents, and they don't speak English, and we don't speak Spanish. Neither of us speak the other language very well at all, and communication is hard. And the purpose of the gift of tongues is to take powerful, life-changing truth and to deliver it to somebody in a way that they can understand it. And that's what tongues was for. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. And so he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Why? Because he's delivering this powerful message of truth to Gentiles, to people who may speak a different language. And God is allowing him to speak to people without being hindered by a language barrier. And so Paul's saying, that's great, that's awesome. And right here, he says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless, like that's a really important word, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. If you speak in tongues and somebody interprets, then the church is built up. If you speak in tongues and nobody interprets and nobody knows what you're saying, nobody is built up. And what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Building people up. Paul's saying, stop doing that. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation? That's what happens when people are speaking in tongues. God is revealing things through them. Or knowledge, imparting information. Or prophecy, hearing something that is going to happen in the future or teaching, explaining something. Those are things that happen through the gift of tongues. And Paul is just saying, for people to gather together and just speak unintelligible words is useless. It doesn't help anybody. He says, you're speaking to God. And by the way, God doesn't need you to speak to Him for His benefit. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. And later he says, you're speaking into the air. God didn't give spiritual gifts to benefit the air. And so when Paul's saying those things, he's not saying that's good, but this is better. He's saying, don't do that. That is not what spiritual gifts are for. And so he says that, and we're going to find out later that it's not just those revelation gifts, but there's also praying in tongues, and there's also singing in tongues. And I just want to ask, you know, I remember when I was in seminary, there was this one professor that would pray in our chapel. And, I mean, his prayers were spectacular and just made me feel so inadequate. I'm like such an average prayer. You know, n nobody ever hears me pray and goes, oh, my goodness, that was inspiring and amazing. You know, when I pray, it's like people just feel like, man, if, if he can pray, I guess I could pray too, you know. And, by the way, the same thing happens when I sing. You know, I used to lead worship. And when I led worship, I have a very average voice, you know. It wasn't like scratching on a chalkboard, but nothing I ever sang, like, really inspired anybody. But one of the cool things is people would go, man, if he can sing, I guess anybody can. And so that's a benefit. But, you know, when you think about the way we're blessed, I think about when I was hearing that professor pray, sometimes the way he prayed, I thought, man, I want to think more the way he thinks. I want to be able to pray the way he prays. I was really ministered to in my spirit hearing him pray and i was actually able to pray along with him which that gets addressed later in this chapter too and i prayed with him and i just thought oh man that was so helpful and i couldn't have phrased it that way and i wouldn't have thought about it that way but i was able to pray along with him and when people sing we are emotionally touched we are inspired by truth about who god is and how that gets expressed and so Praying is actually not like this side thing. If you come into church, you've got to really be able to understand the preaching. Maybe you don't understand people praying, or you don't really listen, or you're texting during prayers, or you're talking to the person next to you because prayer is really not important. That's not true. Prayer is significantly important. And so that's why we need to be able to understand that too. Or singing. Singing is not like this thing that happens to provide background while we walk into church. 
That's something where we worship God during singing. And for us to be able to hear that singing in our own language and actually understand what is happening. And by the way, that was what tongues was for, is to take all the worship that happens on Sunday morning and as this church was being begun, that people walk in the door and instead of being disconnected, instead of having a layer between them and what is happening, God gives the spiritual gift so that people can be edified and blessed. And so then why do you have a translator? Well, you have a translator because, like, let's just say there was somebody in this room that their original language was Spanish. And so if we got somebody up here, they could pray in tongues if they didn't know Spanish, that they could just do it in Spanish, and they could sing in Spanish, and they could preach in Spanish. And then that person would be blessed deeply. What would happen to the rest of us who speak English? We'd be left out. And so the gift is given so that nobody is left out, and translators are given so that no one is left out. And that's why Paul says, in church, this is a group of people who all pretty much speak the same language. And so he's saying, I, I speak in tongues all the time, but I'd rather speak five words than 10,000. And it's because in the church, for the most part, they were all there and they all spoke the same language. And if somebody walked in that didn't speak the language, that is a reason for the gift of tongues. And so that's Paul's emphasis. And so we need to understand that. And by the way, uh, Colossians talks about how all these other things build us up too, right? Singing, let the word of Christ, that's God's truth, that's prophecy, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And tongues was to make sure that no one was left out. So here's the third thing. Okay, so tongues are not for self-edification. They're to build other people up. All gifts are to build other people up. The manifestations are to build others up. So it's a different way of saying the same thing. We're now going to say the other half of that. Let's look at verse 7. And, and this is like people will also go to this passage and say, oh, you're uttering mysteries in your heart to God. You're speaking into the air. So what that means is there's two different kinds of tongues. The one that happened in Acts chapter 2, and then this is talking about this other stuff. It's an angelic language. And I've heard things like, um, it's when the Holy Spirit's interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. See, that's too deep for words. That's not what Romans is talking about. Romans is just saying that when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us and interrupts our prayer so that when we pray for stuff that's not good for us, He prays the opposite. Or if we don't know what we should be praying for, the Holy Spirit prays for us. That is the Holy Spirit praying. It is not us praying. And the, the whole, this other stuff about, um, about whether or not the true gift of tongues is intelligible. This next section says it is a language. It is intelligible. It does have meaning. So when you read this chapter and you come up with that there's something else, there's a different kind of tongues, you're reading this incorrectly. And he's right here, right in the middle of this chapter where everybody gets this private prayer language from. He's going to be so clear that tongues has meaning. And you have to ignore these next verses to come up with a different perspective. Okay, that's, that's my opinion. 
Maybe some people would go, Roger, reading this all wrong. Okay. Even if lifeless instruments, verse 7, such as the flute or harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If we just take somebody who doesn't know how to play an instrument and they just come up here and start banging away and strumming the guitar and hitting the piano, and then you say, what song was that? People are going to go, I have no recollection of what that is. It did not sound familiar. In fact, it was quite obnoxious. (laughs) So what's the purpose of this? Why does he give that illustration? He's saying that spiritual gifts, the spiritual gift of tongues, is not unintelligible. And he's going to actually use instruments. And then he says in verse 8, And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? And what's his whole purpose? People need to know what's said. If nobody knows what's said, it's not helpful. It's not beneficial. He's saying here, that if what you're doing is just this meaningless babble, that's not the gift of tongues. And we know that what's going on in the Corinthian church, some of it is not the gift of tongues. That's why he says in chapter 12, nobody says Jesus is accursed if they're speaking in the Spirit, which means people were doing that. So we know that there was things going on that should not have been, and he's correcting that. He says, then he says, for you will be speaking into the air. He's not recommending that we speak into the air. He is not recommending that we speak unintelligible words. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. He is saying that the gift of tongues has meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, or the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, this is how you apply this to yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, which he just said in chapter 12, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, and now he says you're seeking manifestations of the Spirit. That should be for what? The common good. And what does he say next in this verse? strive to excel in building up the church. So how do we build up the church? Building up the church comes through understanding. If we don't understand truth, if we don't hear it, if we don't make sense of it, we're not built up. And so that's actually what the purpose of the church is, is the loving expression of the truth that we hear that we understand, that we care for each other. By the way, the loving expression and application of the truth, that's encouragement. It's when a person loses hope and they're feeling discouraged and they want to give up. What Christians are supposed to do is take truth from the Bible. And they're supposed to love this person enough to notice that they're struggling. They're supposed to love them enough to listen and hear what they're thinking and to be able to say, you're discouraged, you have no hope. Here's truth in the Bible that will help you think rightly about that and have hope. That's encouragement. It's encouragement to do the right thing. When people in life are living sinfully 
And they think to themselves, oh, this is going to bless me. This is going to help me. I'm, gonna, I'm so depressed and discouraged. I've got to go do these sinful things so I'll feel better, which can be drinking, taking drugs. Oh, I'm so upset. I'm so discouraged. I just need something to numb me. Or it can be relational things. This is a relationship that God says is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because, man, anything that feels so right can't be wrong. Or, or the lusts of our flesh, when we gratify the lusts of our flesh. Or if we deny the things that God says is true about us. Like people sometimes feel all kinds of ways. But what they need to do is say, it, what I, the way I feel or who I think I am is not who I am. I am who God made me to be. And the best thing I could ever do is to think about and embrace and learn that. And so we take truth and we use it in love to build people up. That is what is supposed to be happening in the church. Um, an unfruitful mind is not an expression of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts. It's not. Um, and, and it goes on. Let's just read more. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. The gifts of the spirit are not so that your mind will be unfruitful. He's saying, don't do that. What am I to do? And then he says, I will pray with my spirit, um, but I will pray with my mind also. He's saying, yeah, pray in the spirit, pray in your heart but you pray with your mind. He's not saying, well, pray without your mind, that's good, but praying with your mind is even better. That is not what he is saying. He's saying, you pray with your mind. He's saying, I'm praying with my mind. He says, if I sing praise with my spirit, he says, um, I, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, you give thanks with your spirit, but how can anyone in the position of the outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? You know, that's the unique thing about the corporate worship is that singing is better with everyone than it is by yourself. Praying is actually, we should pray by ourselves. Jesus did that. He asked other people to pray. But there is a benefit to praying in a whole group of people. We all benefit when we pray together. And by the way, you're supposed to say amen. When somebody's preaching and you say amen during the sermon, that is not a bad thing. That is not an interruption. To respond, to participate is something God intends and God wants. We're not supposed to daydream while other people are praying. The word amen is, just means truth. It's saying let it be true. It's actually the Hebrew word for truth that Greek just transliterates. So um, whenever you read amen, now you guys know Hebrew. It means it's true. Let it be true. I agree. I want that to happen. That's what amen means. Amen. <laughs> That's good. And so we do what we do to help other people. He says, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Um, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And I just want you to know that unspiritual, uh, an unproductive mind is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And so when it comes to some of these things, if we just take the things that we know are true and we embrace those things, it actually um, significantly reduces the areas of controversy. And I think that, that it'll keep you away from places that are damaging and harmful to you. So there are churches that would say, oh, they still believe the gift of tongues is in operation today. And when I hear that people are going to some of those churches, I don't say, that's a terrible place, get away from there. Because there are churches that believe that the gift of tongues are still in operation, but they are not proclaiming gibberish. They're not doing all the things that happen in the charismatic movement that are bad. They're just faithfully, like they disagree about that one thing, but they go through the Bible, they are faithful, they are pursuing the Lord, and I would just say that's an area where they're wrong. But there are other churches that are charismatic churches that I would say stay away from that place. It is horrible, it is destructive, it is very bad for you. And uh, in my town where I was before I came here, um, let me just start by asking you this. Have you guys ever, like, laughed in a group of people? Um, have you ever, like, seen a couple people that are laughing and uh, you missed, like, whatever the joke was, but, and you're asking them, hey, what are you laughing about? And as they try to tell you, they just laugh like crazy, and next thing you know, everybody's laughing, and you, now you're laughing, but you don't even know what the joke was. It's like, uh, we used to play that in youth group. I'd get like five or six kids together, and I'd say, hey, let's go in this room, and let's all just start laughing like crazy and see if we can get the whole room to laugh. And it was just kind of a joke. And, and that's happened to me. Like, I've been in the car, my stomach hurts. I'm like, just stop, I'm in pain. So what I want you to know, that's a human phenomenon. That is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is not the gift of tongues. And there are churches, like in my town, where they laughed in the Spirit. They just get a whole group of people together in the church. They'd all start laughing, and they'd say, oh, we're laughing in the Spirit. And they would see that emotional frenzy as an expression of the Holy Spirit. It is not. Um, the same church in my old town, uh, people would bark in the Spirit. So they would go around and start barking. That is not an expression of the fruit of the Spirit. If you've ever gone to a church, and you'll see like a whole church of people, full of people, all singing in tongues. This is I'm touching on next week now. By the way, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. That is not the spiritual gift of tongues. That should be avoided. When you have multiple people speaking in tongues at the same time, that is not a biblical thing. And, and there are things about the gift of tongues. Like it says tongues will cease doesn't give the exact day that that happens. So you could have a different opinion. Like the Bible doesn't spell that out. But if you are speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, singing in tongues at the same time as a bunch of other people, that's sinful. That should be avoided. And the Bible's not in, at all unclear about that. But that's our next sermon. So for this one, why does all this stuff matter? so that you're not distracted and misled. Like there are people that instead of doing the things that God has called them to do, they're pursuing something that is a distraction. And instead of spending time and energy doing the things God wants them to do, they're pursuing something wasteful. Even if it's not negative, it's not helpful. And so um, we, we need to make sure we're not pursuing the wrong things. If you're ever looking for a church, and not because you're around here, we know you'd stay here forever, but if you ever moved somewhere else and you were looking for a church, um, partly you need to understand this so you don't go to the wrong church. Um, you also need to make sure that you're not 
ineffective, that you don't have a poor witness, that you are hindering the things that God's trying to do. You want to make sure that you're not discouraged. There are so many people that have been told, like, if you, you got to speak in tongues is how you really get spiritual power in your life. And they're so discouraged, and they, they feel weak, and they just want to sense God's presence, and they want to feel God's power in their life. And so they start pursuing something that they think they're missing out on when that is not what you are missing out on. So you shouldn't be discouraged. And also, so you can live according to truth, so that you can pursue these things and prioritize the thing that God says needs to be prioritized, which is what? Loving people and prophecy or God's truth. We need to understand how important it is to have those things in our life and to be ministering to each other. And I'm just going to close by saying this. If you disagree with me, you come tell me later. Tell me all the ways that you think I'm wrong. And I'm totally, I am not at all uh, opposed to somebody opening up the Bible and reading it with me and showing me where I'm wrong. Um, I'm actually kind of easily convinced by Scripture, and uh, you should be too. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for giving us your word. And Lord, as we just think about this whole topic, Lord, there can be so much division that happens, and we can be very prideful and judgmental toward other people. And help us just to remember what Paul says about sometimes we're so sure we know things, but we actually don't know as much as we think we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to be humble, to be submissive to your word, that we would set aside our agenda as we study things, and that we would just open our mind, not to anything, but that we would open our mind to you. And God, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we read your word and as we seek to apply it in life. And God, I just thank you for even differences in the way that people with different opinions can sharpen each other. And I pray that that would happen and that we would continue growing toward maturity in this life until we're finally with you in your name. Amen.